All right, welcome everybody. Nice to see you this Sunday morning. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Why don't we start the morning uh, with some prayer, okay? Everybody ready? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the story of Ruth. Thank you that you brought us here together. I pray that you would help us to understand uh, more of what uh, you're saying to us through the book of Ruth, what the book is saying, what the Bible is, is, is meant to say, what you meant to say when you wrote this story, and then guide us, Lord, as to how you may uh, help us to learn more of you uh, through this. And so we look to you, Lord, uh, for this morning and um, ask your guidance on each of our lives. So many different stories, so many different things going on uh, around this room uh, we pray only the Spirit of God knows, Lord. So we pray that you would comfort and 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 uh, and move in hearts as you as you would through your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, if you guys remember, we're studying the story of Ruth, and uh, we just started last week. Uh, you should listen to uh, Nate's message on Ruth chapter one. I'm in Ruth chapter two uh, this Sunday, and uh, wanted to recap the story a little bit. There's a uh, uh, with. Um, the Bible, uh, often in order for the Lord to communicate a truth, he'll do it through a story. So there are these, what they call narrative portions of the Bible. So it's written in narrative. So it's as though there's a narrator who's guiding you through the stories. That's what Ruth is. Ruth is placed uh, at a unique time in history. We talked about this couple of, uh, or last week, but the idea was that um, at this time, uh, the uh, story uh, was right placed at the end of the time of the judges. Uh, the, the, the Jewish people had rebelled against God for a long time, and there was now famine throughout the land, and uh, f- famine so bad that they, uh, some of the people, including the, the stars of this story, Naomi uh, and her family, they went uh, north up to the enemy camp. So imagine, uh, as most of you know, Canadians are our mortal enemy as Americans. Uh, I used to live on the Canadian border. I always warn them that it's just a matter of time. I'm telling you, they're coming across for us. I'm telling you, you got to watch those Canadians. We, we got, so, so imagine that Canada had been doing bad things to us. They'd come down, they'd kill people and run back, and they had these wars for a, for a century. Um, that's exactly what had happened with Moab and Israel. And yet, because of the famine, this family, uh, Naomi and her husband and her kids, went up to Moab uh, to try to survive. And so they stayed there 10 years. During the 10 years, her husband died. And then her two sons got married, but then they died. And so Naomi had a very tough life because also in those days, when you're a widow, um, it puts you in about the worst condition. Uh, 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 economically, uh, you lose access to the land, whatever your husband owned, you don't own. Uh, they could take it from you. You could take advantage of widows. And so she was really in, in, a bad, in a bad way. And she was a refugee in another country. Uh, so this was not a good situation for her. And that's where we enter into the story. We start the story. Chapter one is kind of what I just explained. And then we end the story. So we start the story with tragedy and death. We end the story with joy and birth. And we'll uh, let Nate finish it with you so that you get to see all this come together. But God is working through this story. And he teaches us how he works in our lives. You know, in my life, I, uh, there are uh, many uh, little decisions you'll see in this book uh, that... Uh, People make uh, good decisions, and as a result, they end up with a great uh, result. But often, they don't even know why they're making a decision or the impact of it then. I was uh, telling the earlier service, my daughter, Kristen, uh, who is uh, married to Nate, uh, she is, uh, I always say Nate is Kristen's husband. 
She's not his wife. You see the difference? So that's, if anybody asks, you say, oh, who's Nate? Oh, that's Kristen's husband. That's, that's what you're supposed to say. So, so anyway, so Kristen, uh, when we were, uh, when, she, when my wife was pregnant with Kristen, we uh, got a call from the doctor. We'd had a sonogram. They brought us in, and they said, based on the weeks and the timing, we believe your child is going to be special needs. And uh, then they gave us a couple of options, and I didn't fully understand what the options were. They said something about terminating the pregnancy, and I, I wasn't clear, uh, not, the smart, not the sharpest knife in the drawer here, but I walked out, I asked my wife, hey, what's so, well, they said, well, they're talking about abortion. I said, abortion? No, we're never going to do that. That's terrible. No, we wouldn't do that. Uh, and, and, and so we, we decided not to do that. But I can be honest, for the week or week and a half before we found out anything else, it was pretty nerve-wracking. I mean, it was, it was uh, a lot of pressure. And so during that waiting time, then we got a call, and uh, we went back in, and they said, oh, boy, we were wrong on the timing. So in fact, your child is going to be just fine. Sorry about that. So uh, if you look at a little decision we made uh, not to abort, and then now when you see the way my daughter has ended up and she's taken in foster kids, she's uh, been a missionary overseas, she just has a wonderful heart. Um, she's only made one big mistake uh, with her marriage, but uh, other than that, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. When, when she was in high school, actually, she... Uh, uh, I didn't always have those great moments about how the story was going to end, you know, like in the middle, you don't always, and, and when she was in high school, um, she uh, had a lot of friends, and I would work evenings, because I was a D.C. policeman, so I would be in the city working, and uh, occasionally I would get a call, and, and I got a call from her, and I, uh, I said, yeah, what's going on? She said, hey, Dad, uh, this is her question to me, do you have any handcuff keys around the house? Uh, no, honey, why would I have handcuff keys? I'm at work. We use them here. She said, uh, you know, pause. Um, I'm handcuffed to kitchen cabinets, and I was wondering if you could come home. The, the, she thought she was being funny, so she was showing her friends that she could, uh, that, that these handcuffs really worked. So she handcuffed herself to the kitchen cabinets thinking there was a key. Needless to say, no key. So I had to drive out and go unlock my daughter uh, from her own self-made prison in the kitchen. So uh, that was not the brightest moment. And if you were to take the snapshot right there, would I have seen that things would work out here? No, not necessarily. I was, I was listening to that song, um, You're Gonna Have a Victory, His Victory is Coming or whatever. The only beef I have with songs like that is uh, when? When am I going to see the victory? When? When is this going to happen? And some of you guys have marriages that are tough, and they're going to be tough. Some of you are in relationships that you don't know why your brother, sister, uncle, whatever, doesn't speak to you. You, you don't know why your child is born uh, different than other kids, or why you're having this struggle or that struggle. And um, we've got to look at stories like Ruth to get a better picture of how it is God works in the lives of human beings to understand, yes, we can expect a victory. It may not come till heaven. It may come now. It may come tomorrow. I don't know. But we have to see. I'm going to give you just three big ideas out of this story that I think we can apply to our daily life that'll give us hope in the midst of raising Kristen at 16 years old. You got me? Okay, that's my example. All right, here we are. Let's open to Ruth chapter 2. And Oh, there we go. You kind of scared me there. They do that... I thought, I thought I was going to have to call the cops myself. Okay, 
Ruth chapter 2. Let's go. Now, Naomi, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a man of great wealth and influence from the family of her husband, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one of the reapers, in whose sight I may find favor. Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth went and picked up the leftover grain in the field after the reapers. And she happened to stop at the plot of land belonging to Boaz. And then it was then, right then, that Boaz came back from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, who is she? So listen, as we start, big idea number one, God is at work in the details. God is at work in the details. Notice this. The story is Naomi and Ruth come back. Uh, they are destined for abject poverty. They are uh, in, in a very bad situation. Matter of fact, so bad that when she arrived back, they grew up, uh, Naomi's from Bethlehem, same place where Jesus was born. She leaves, goes up to Moab, 10 years, comes back to Bethlehem, back to her hometown. And when they ask her, oh, Naomi, you're back. And she says, don't even call me Naomi. Don't even call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter from now on because God has dealt with me. Naomi had terrible theology, but her theology, her circumstances shaped her theology. You follow me? Same as we, same as we do. So, so she felt this way. She felt God's judgment, felt like it was wrong. So she's back here now in, uh, in Bethlehem, and they're in tough shape. So uh, Ruth says, hey, listen, we can get some food. I know the way we can get some food. When the um, uh, people are uh, reaping the harvest out in the fields. I will go behind them. They called it gleaning. They go behind them, and then whatever they don't pick up, I can take the leftovers and throw them in a bag. So her mom said, yes, that's fine, and that would give them enough food, hopefully. So she would go out and work for hours like this. <clears throat> Story doesn't tell us a lot of things, but it makes it very clear that Ruth had no idea which field to go to. She had no idea that all of... God's miracle, including this book that was written about her, was hinging on which field she went to. No idea. No idea. Had no significance to her. Matter of fact, the Bible's quite clear. Look at verse 3. So Ruth went and picked up the leftover grain in the field after the reapers, and she happened to stop at the plot of land belonging to Boaz. She happened to stop there. She didn't plan it. She didn't say, that's Boaz land. Where's Boaz? She didn't know anything about Boaz. She just happened to stop there. So then... Next verse, look at four. And then, it was then, right when she happened to stop there, that Boaz came back. Brothers and sisters, God is at work in the details of our lives as much as he is in the life of Ruth and Naomi. This is a mir these are the kind of miracles God is doing all the time. It's just you and I can't see it. Her, um, she felt insignificant. Widow, lost her husband. She's now a foreigner in a, in, a, in a land that hates her. She felt insignificant, you would have thought. She would have felt, I would assume, uh, poor, forgotten. And in, in fact, God was at work in her life, working the details. There's that song uh, that said, uh, God is always working. He's always working all the time. That's good, that's good theology. God is always working. I just don't know what he's doing, but he's always working. God is at work at the, in the details of your life, my life. <clears throat> that's our first big idea. The second big idea we have is we have a limited view of his work. God's at work, but we have a limited view of his work. You follow me? Here's what I mean by that. Listen to this. And Ruth, 
the Moabite has said to Naomi, remember when she said she was going to the field, please let me go uh, to the field and glean among the ears of grain and of the reapers so that I may find favor. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. Ruth could only see a field and she could feel hunger. That's all she had going for. She didn't know that in that field and because of her steps that day, God would grant her husband a future, a blessing, and even be beyond her wildest dreams. All because she did this. Now, why is this so important? Because even though she didn't know what he was doing, you know this. Ruth made some statements here. Ruth, we can see, is a, is a wonderful woman. But really, a young girl. And, and, and what we know is, you know this, that she had to make 10,000 right decisions in her early life to make the right decision we all know about. In the same way, Ruth comes to this situation after many other decisions along the way that she followed God. Same with Naomi, same with Boaz. They, they are, we are being prepared for these big decisions, these big things in our life all the time as we're just trying to be faithful to God through things even when we can't see. So the second part is we have a limited view of his work. Even then we're making these decisions. We're trying to step out and try to be faithful to the Lord. She happened to stop by land, but she couldn't see what was about to go on. For now, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now in the time of imperfection, that's today, we see in a mirror dimly. It's like a blurred reflection is what we can see of God's work. But then when the time comes of perfection, face to face, Jesus, face to face. Now I know in part, and the Bible says just in fragments is what we know, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known by God. Brothers and sisters, we... <clears throat> need to understand that God is at work, big idea number one, in the details. Yet, we have a limited view of what that work is. Paul is saying here to the Corinth church, he's saying, he takes the example of a mirror. Now, for you and I, a mirror you look at, uh, for some of you it's a good experience, some of you didn't, but you have a mirror you look at, and that, that was a joke, everybody's all right, okay, okay, all right. So you take, the, you, you, you take a mirror now, they weren't even invented in 1825, up to that point, what Paul was trying to describe was that they would take metal, and they would shine it, and shine it, and shine it, and shine it, and then they would look at a reflection and try to make out what it is. Naturally, blurry, right? I mean, that was dim uh, to see. He says that's what it's like for human beings to try to understand everything God is doing in their lives at this time. And you say, no, 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 no. I don't want that. Uh, God has to prove to me. We have a whole uh, understanding now. We call it apologetics. Um, it's what uh, Nate actually has his master's in, is studying the faith and defending the faith. All the things we need to know in order to believe but brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. You know very well how to live in this life and not know much. You know very well how to do that because let me tell you why. You walk out every day, you go to sleep every day under a sky that you know nothing about. Now you could say, but Dale, don't worry because our astronomers, the guys who study that, they know. No, they don't. Matter of fact, they will tell you that all they can see is 4% of the universe. They don't understand. 96% that leaves unknown. Yet you and I sleep every day. We go every day to go. We never worry about what we don't know. Then secondly, how about the ocean? So the, we step on this ground, but only 30% of the earth is ground. 70% is ocean. And of the ocean, you say, well, that's no problem. We know what the ocean's going to do. We know what's up. We get all these uh, 
things to tell us when there's bad weather. We know what's going on in the ocean. Uh, no. A matter of fact, uh, those scientists say 80% of 70% of the earth is totally unknown to them. Unknown. We have no idea what's going on there. God is so vast in the sky. God is so vast in the ocean. But brothers and sisters, now the one that really will spin you, what you don't know and yet you live fine with is how your body works. Now we're not talking about ocean. We're not talking about the, the sky. We're talking about our own bodies. And I was reading one doctor and they said, if you took everything we know about the human body, put it on one scale, took everything we don't know about the human body, put it on another scale, we'd be about even. Even worse for the human brain. The human brain, I have this friend who's a neurosurgeon, and I told you guys this probably before, but uh, he has told me many times um, that there's a guy now who opens up craniums and digs around in there. He says, uh, we don't know a thing about the human brain. We don't think about it. He said, I'm telling you, we learn so little. Listen to this one doctor, one neuro guy says, in 2015, he said, today, in 2015, he wrote the article, nor can anyone, I can't tell you, nor can anyone else on the planet, how the brain functions as an information processing organ. Get this, 86 billion neurons in our skull, each with a thousand connections. Now, some of you are short a few neurons, and I definitely have some connection problems uh, there. But 86 billion and 1,000 connections to each one of those billions. Brothers and sisters, we don't know much. We live in peace with what we don't know. And so I'm afraid we have to look at our lives, look at how God is working, and we must be at rest with the fact that we have a limited view. Now, the good news is one day soon we're going to know. We're going to get to see. And as you know in your life, there are things that you look back on and you say, I know now why that happened. I know sometimes a week later, sometimes it's 10 years later, and sometimes you just got to wait for heaven. We have a limited view of what he does. And then the third big idea is see God's kindness as you wait. See God's kindness as you wait. Ruth and Naomi started to get glimpse of God's kindness. Naomi missed so much comfort that was hers if she'd have been able to take this view. I'm afraid that many of us are struggling with discouragement, uh, my own anxiety that I uh, uh, have about various things. I have that because I don't trust, I don't look for God's kindness while I'm waiting for the fulfillment of the truth, the promises of God. This whole book, Ruth, I would summarize in all things work together for good to them that love God. Another story. Again, how do I communicate to a group like this? How does God communicate to us this truth? Well, this is what he does. He loves us. So he says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you what I did in this family. Notice the time. Ten years. Okay? Waiting. There is time uh, from them moving place to place. She's, she's in this field uh, gleaning for a long time before they end up getting married. There's lots of time in here. So that's why God includes it in the story. You and I say, oh, okay. So I won't know everything the first day it happens. Yeah, that's right. And so we have to see God's kindness while we wait. Now here's verse 12. <clears throat> first glimpse of like, Real kindness we see here is Boaz says this, may the Lord, he sees to Ruth, may the Lord repay you for your kindness as how she treated Naomi. And may your reward be full from the Lord, the God of Israel. And here's the key, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Brothers and sisters, the idea is while you're waiting, while you're waiting, you get under his wings and you can take refuge. Now, look, that's a weird uh, statement. I haven't said to anybody lately, uh, to my grandkids, hey, you go outside, but don't worry, you're under God's wings. It'd be kind of weird, like, Dad, well, you know, Grandpa, where's the wings? What's going on? This is a weird thing. But at that time, this was a common statement. We see it all through Scripture. He who dwells in the shadow of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. How what? Under his wings you will find refuge. These were outdoors people. They saw birds. They saw other things. You'll see lots of descriptions like that, ideas, uh, parallels, so that they could understand, the reader could understand exactly what they were saying. This was a common statement, even among other religions, among the, uh, the other folks of the day, because the idea was that little weak uh, birds, uh, little growing birds would need to be covered up under the wings of the, the, the mother. In the same way God is saying, you have taken, Ruth had taken refuge under his wings. So this is the idea. While we're waiting to see what it is God is doing, we need to see God's kindness, for instance, the way he brings us here. As you, as you build this, as you learn to wait, as you learn to wait, we need to take and reframe our circumstances to better understand and see God's kindness in the midst of waiting. So let me give you an example of this. Um, if I, uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, I was a youth pastor and, uh, for over 10 years, and, and I, I would um, want to reach the kids that were in the service, right? I, I want to reach kids that we minister to. I want to reach their families. I want to see that. But assume that I had said, day one, I go in, I, I preach, I, you know, we run the thing, we run the ministry, and I say by Monday, I tell you all, I'm quitting the ministry. I say, well, why are you quitting, Dale? What happened? You just go, they didn't all change. My goal was to see all those lives change. They didn't do it. I'm quitting. I'm done. You'd say, Dale, that's, that's silly. Nobody changes that quick. You have to wait. You have to wait. And how about seeing, Dale, the good things in what you've done? Number one, you got to connect with kids. Number two, you get to talk to them about the Lord. Number three, uh, you got to use some spiritual gifts you had. Number four, you understand what I'm saying? That's taking a situation I might despair over, Take it down off the wall. Take it to a framer who knows how to frame things. Rather than do you do, like when I buy a frame, I get something at CVS, it looks great, and it fits, I'm happy. But if I take that same picture, take it over to some expensive frame store, they're going to make that thing look really great. And this is what we do when we take our struggles, take them down off the wall, reframe them in light of God's current kindness as we wait for what he's going to do. We're reframing in light of God's word. Um, Nate last week said a great statement. I, I think it's really worth writing down. Trouble doesn't negate God's kindness. It opens a door for it. Trouble doesn't negate God's kindness. It opens a door for God's kindness. And I think we'd, we'd agree. Uh, those of us who walk to the Lord any amount of time, we've seen his kindness more when we've had struggles. And sometimes, guys, I think foolishly they tell you, um, if you don't watch it, you're going to get trouble in your life, and that's the way you're going to learn from God. So you better learn in your good times, because it, let me just tell you something. Everybody has trouble. You don't have trouble because you're bad or good or whatever. You have trouble in this life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's all through the scriptures. This is known. In a story like Ruth, we see it. These are God's people. These are people God's going to do a miracle with. And yet, they had plenty of struggles, didn't they? Plenty of struggles. 
Brother, that's us. We've got struggles. We've got good times. We've got struggles. But in the midst of it, let's understand that the trouble doesn't negate God's kindness. It allows us to see it. It opens a door for it. Take your current struggles and reframe them. Three things, three big ideas we want you to get. Three big ideas I think you can get out of this second chapter. God is at work in the details. We have a limited view of his work. And thirdly, we want to see God's kindness as you wait. <clears throat> I was uh, waiting is very hard business for me. I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting at all. I don't want to wait. If I'm here to preach, I just assume they skip the singing. Let me go. If I'm going to a store, I just did this the other day. Where was I? Uh, oh, we were at the movies yesterday with my wife. And uh, there was four lines for popcorn. And uh, you know the whole deal was I forgot all about popcorn. I just wanted to find the shortest line. And that was really the contest. There was another guy with me. We were both trying to gauge which line would be shortest. Killed me because he won. I don't even know the guy, but he beat me. But, but this, you know, I don't want to wait for anything. Anything. Waiting is challenging. And yet, we wait all the time. We wait as a matter. We have to wait. You have to wait till the next time you're hungry. I like to eat, so I just soon eat all the time. But no, you can only eat a certain amount, then you got to wait to the next meal. Then you got to wait to the next meal, then you got to wait to the next thing. Then you got to wait till your kid gets up. Then you got to wait till your wife is not mad at you. And you got to wait till your, you're waiting all the time. You're waiting all the time in life. And we need to take this time of waiting. Like Naomi and Ruth, read this story and see what God did. God did through somebody who waited. Here was how Naomi, though, punished herself in the midst of the waiting. Brothers and sisters, the reason I'm encouraging this reframing idea is as long as we leave it in the frame that it's all misery, who suffers? Us. Now, let me tell you, with my kids, if uh, even my grandkids, when they come over to the house, um, if, if they came into my house and they said, uh, Grandpa, um, we are very nervous, and they just all started weeping. I'd say, what are you guys scared of? You won't give us any food, Grandpa. What do you mean? You know I'll always have food. I always have food when you're here. But grandpa, I'm afraid you won't supply. At some point I would say to him, man, don't you trust grandpa some? I mean, haven't I been good in the past with food? And yet brothers and sisters were like my grandkids with that circumstance with God. When we're waiting, we start breaking down in tears a little early. We start breaking down in tears. We're just like that. We say, Lord, you're not faithful because I don't have it now. You're not faithful because one away. And just remember, he's this loving father that is at work in the details of your life. He is, he is moving. What did Ruth talk about? She happened to go to this field. You think you happened to do this. You happened to meet so-and-so. You happened into the career you make. And the Lord is saying, stay right there and wait and look up. You're going to see my kindness in the midst of your waiting. In the midst of your waiting. I talked to a lot of people unhappy with their job. And as they talk to me about what they're unhappy with the job, I'm just thinking of all of God's kindness as they're going through this. I think of the benefits I've had of having bad coaches and bad bosses versus all the good bosses I've had. I see the way now, the way the Lord works, and we can see his kindness in the midst of our waiting. John, McCar uh, John uh, Piper summarized Naomi's situation with this, and with this I'll close. He says, the Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living, Naomi or Ruth, or the dead her husband and children. 
It was the Lord who stopped the famine. It was the Lord who bound Ruth to Naomi in love. It was the Lord who preserved Boaz for Ruth. Ruth did not just happen to come to Boaz's field. The light of God's love has finally broken through bright enough for Naomi to see. Brothers and sisters, he summarized, the Lord is kind. He is good to all who take refuge under his wings. So let us fall on our faces, bow before the Lord, confess our unworthiness, and take refuge under the wings of God, and be astonished at his grace. Let's pray together. Jesus, help us, Lord Jesus, to see your kindness as we wait. Help us, Lord Jesus, as we read your word, as we read the book of Ruth. Teach us, Lord, through this story. Teach us, Lord. Many of us met our spouse in a way that I can't really believe. It it just happened to happen. Or they found an interest. We found an interest in a particular career just seemed like it just happened. I didn't do anything for it or whatever. All those things were your kind hand at work in our lives. Jesus, I pray you'd hear our appreciation for you, for your kindness in our lives, and just ask you to help us waiting. Help us wait. It's hard to wait, Lord. Help us to wait. Help us to wait. You know about waiting. I wonder what it was like to come to the earth to reach us to save the people you love and then for 30 years you waited before you went to a public ministry all the time being faithful all the time doing what's right all the time making a million great decisions that led you to the 30 year mark for you to open your public ministry Lord you know what it is to wait you know what it is we believe your father died Joseph died when you were young that day he died must have been really hard and yet you had to wait you had to wait Lord Jesus, help us, because we see dimmer than you did. You knew all. You knew um, what was going on. You knew the sovereign picture. You knew with Lazarus, Lord, but you still cried with us. Jesus, I ask you right now, Lord, help us to see. Help us to see, Lord Jesus. And help us to be content with what we can't see. And rejoice in your kindness. So just take a minute here. Those of you who know Christ, this is a great time for you to just thank him for his kindness. Just thank him. To be honest with him. Oh, man. Lord, help me to reframe this. Help me to think this. I want to thank you for your kindness in this way and then that way and in that way. For those of you who don't know where you stand with, with the Lord Jesus, remember this kind, loving Savior is, is absolutely ready to meet you. If you ask his forgiveness, you submit to his lordship, his, his authority over your life, you can, uh, you can go to him right now and find grace at his feet. So either way, wherever you're at, just take a minute to pray. Talk to the Lord Jesus. Jesus, this is a learned skill to learn to see you in the midst of our waiting.
to take the story of Ruth and really put it into our lives. But we ask you, Jesus, could you help us? Can you teach us? Just like uh, I know that my five-year-old grandkid is not ready to drive a car, you, don't, you know that I'm not ready to understand all this. So, Lord, just be patient with me like we are with our little kids. Let's just be patient, Lord Jesus. Be patient with us as we learn your kindness, as we study and know you more. Feel more peace in our waiting. Feel more peace in what we can't control. Jesus, we look to you. You're the only hope. Give us, Lord, our daily bread, what we need, Lord Jesus, each day. Wait, trust, and enjoy your kindness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys stand with us and and sing together.